Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In today's episode, we talk to Tandy Trower, who is the general manager of the Microsoft Robotics Group. Let's face it. I have my own homemade robotic development tools, and you might as well with that special simulator feature which might only be useful for you and impossible to understand for anyone else. Well, after Bill Gates' 206 wake-up call, here comes Microsoft to wake up the robotics market and perhaps unify our worlds with their Microsoft Robotics Studio. Hi Tandy, welcome to Talking Robots. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me. In the January edition of Scientific American on the coming age of robotics, Bill Gates says, quote, I asked Tandy Trower to go on an extended fact-finding mission and to speak with people across the robotics community. So, what would be your snapshot description of the robotics community at that time? Well, what I found by going on doing this research is that it, there's a, an amazing number of parallels between um, between the robotics community and what was what was evident in the early PC business. So there's a tremendous amount of excitement and anticipation that something significant is starting to happen. And that, uh, so you have a lot of people, you know, excited about what's happening. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of investment that's going on right now. If you look at the amount of thought, uh, power that's going into it, the sheer intellectual uh, investments that are going on. I mean, not only here, but worldwide in terms of what's happening. If you look at the financial investments, there isn't a single country that I've been in the world uh, where there is, they don't believe that robotics will be a significant part of a future economy. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Korea for the second time where the government has been heavily investing. But even here in the EU, there's significant investments going on in this area. So when you think about it, it was an amazing amount of looking into it, seeing the amazing amount of investments, both intellectually as well as financially. Uh, in terms of this, the the amount of diversity also is incredible too. Because you know, robotics is not just about you know traditionally robotics has been industrial robots that are building our cars and doing material handling and all the heavy lifting types of things. But it turns out that robotics is much broader than that. You have people using you know. Kids can play with robots today. I mean, when I grew up, I, I built robots, but I had to pretend they were robots. But kids growing up today, they can program things like the Lego Mindstorms or uh, Parallax Bowbots or uh, the iRobot Create or a number of other very inexpensive robots. So the, the reality is this technology is increasingly accessible to, to even children today. And I think, you know, looking at what happened in the PC industry and seeing how easily children adapt to this technology and, and take it forward uh, spells great things for the robotics uh, industry. So it's a very diverse community. You know, you have people in, in education, you have uh, students learning the thing, you have people doing very cutting-edge research. I mean, you look at what just happened. I mean, the DARPA Grand Challenge is one of my favorite examples of 
what dynamics is happening in the industry, how fast things are moving. So, for example, you know, the first year of the DARPA Grand Challenge was held, nobody could finish the course. They come back one year later, and four teams finish it in regulation time. So then what happens? Then DARPA goes through and creates a more complex one, which was just held a couple of weeks ago, where they had to drive through an urban environment. And so everyone was thinking, well, maybe maybe everyone will fail the first time. And instead, six teams finish the course. Uh, and so that gives you an idea of how dynamic and how fast the technology is moving forward. Yet at the same time, uh, looking at all these, there, there are also a number of challenges. One of the things that I really learned and one of the things that really motivated Microsoft to get started in this was the, the, the difficulties, the complexities, the challenges that the, that the community had. So, for example, today everybody kind of builds their own ecosystem. They, they build their own robot from the hardware all the way through the software stack, and so there's very re- little reusability that goes on. So it, it's a great platform for expressing innovation, but it also limits because people are not able to carry – it's m- much harder to carry over innovations from one improvement to another. Uh, it's very difficult for people to, to, uh, to share technology. It's, uh, it's also the, – the tool set tends to be still very primitive as compared to what the PC industry has had up to the present time. So uh, it's – you know, it's been a – it's not without its challenges. Right now, uh, it's very difficult for other anyone other than the experts to really get in and really make a significant advancement. And yet, you know, the the thing that really caused the PC industry to 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 thrive and for the web to thrive was the the accessibility of the technology. And so, um, uh, so basically, we got involved with we 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 decided to get involved because the community really asked for us to say, could we offer our software assets in such a way to help accelerate or help provide a catalyst for the community? So that's kind of what I found out. And I, what, the other thing I found out is there, there's, there's just an incredible number of very interesting people doing very interesting work in this area in, in all different fields, you know, from vision recognition, uh, navigation. I mean, the, the amount of the diversity and and the talent and and as I said before, the sheer brain power of what's going in here is just incredible. So, as a response to the needs of the robotics community, you've basically been developing Microsoft Robotics Studio. What is the vision behind this software? It really, as I said, is a response to um, uh, to uh, what the community was asking for. They basically said, "Look, it, it's very difficult to." to uh, to share software, it's very difficult to reuse software because the the platforms are all very fragmented out there. And so what we decided to do is to create a platform and tool set that would make it easier for people to develop applications. And so what Microsoft Robotics Studio is, is really three areas of software. Uh, The first is our runtime execution engine, which is our programming model, which can be very portable to a wide variety of robots, everything from very simple educational robots all the way up to uh, the, the most advanced academic robots or even industrial robots. Um, the, um, the other area of software that we have is we, we created some tools to make it easier for people to do development. We have our own visual programming language. So while you can use traditional programming languages with it, we wanted to find a way to open the market to an an even larger audience. And then we provide a simulation tool so that people don't even necessarily have to have a robot to to learn how to program, or they can program with more complex robots, for example. 
uh, in collaboration with KUKA, who's one of the largest uh, industrial robotics companies in the world, uh, they have this new, what they call their lightweight robot, which is one of the most beautiful industrial robots I've ever seen in terms of its industrial design and in terms of its capabilities. It really starts to move outside the the industrial space into robots that can easily interact with in a human environment. Uh, but that robot, when it comes to marketplace, will probably start somewhere at about $150,000, $100,000 to $150,000. Well, how many students or universities or anybody that wants to interact with something like could afford something like that. And yet in collaboration with them, we now have uh, a simulation model of that, uh, which means that anybody can learn how to interact with that robot. And so KUKA has actually created an educational package out of using our simulation. So they're able to deliver uh, access to not only to their technology, but access to this kind of technology to a much wider audience. And then the third part, I think, is also very exciting. We didn't want people to start from a blank slate. So we put in a number of bits of, of software uh, that allow people to immediately write for a variety of the popular robots that are out there. So there's support in there for how to begin programming with a Lego robot or a, a iRobot Create or a Pioneer P3 or, as I said, even the KUKA industrial robot. And in addition to that, we put in some very simple library routines for um, for doing GPS functions, for getting a webcam image, for doing very simple speech recognition or speech synthesis or vision recognition, color detection. So some basic building blocks. And those building blocks, I think it's, it's, it's especially important for the community because those building blocks are not only there in binary form, they're in very in source form. And the license that we actually provide says that if you use those, you can use that source, you can actually modify that, improve on it, and redistribute it. So in many ways, it's kind of like the way the open source community works today and that the way they share things back and forth. And so we have both the the kind of the solid pieces of technology that Microsoft has developed and make to make it easier to do the development. And then we've combined that with providing a tremendous amount of sample code. And in doing that, we're, we're trying to provide this kind of building block or, or, or platform for people to build on. Many current tools today are open source and allow the developers access to different aspects of the software. Uh, what parts of Robotics Studio are open and which parts aren't? In, in some sense, all of it is open. It depends on what you mean by open. If you mean, uh, is, it, is it accessible? Is it, uh, is it extensible? Um, um, then all parts of, of what we have are really available in that way. Um, the, uh, now, there are certain portions. If you mean by open, that um, is the uh, do we provide source code to everything? Well, we don't. We, the, the, the fundamental runtime, the, the core runtime pieces, the simulation engine, our visual programming language, those we don't provide a source. And that's for a very important reason. We believe that it's important for us as a supplier for a platform and for a, a tool set to provide a very solid base that people can build on. I mean, while open source is, is, is very useful in terms of sharing, uh, one of the difficulties you can have sometimes with open source is that 
if you find a problem, you need to get a bug fixed, either you have to be able to fix it or find someone to fix it for you. So we believe it's important to provide a stable foundation. However, having said that, in terms of the creativity or in terms of the usefulness of, of, of the, the, what's there, it is very open. For example, in our simulation, you can define your own entities that, that are, inhabit the world. So if you don't like the robots that we've uh, pre-configured for you, you can add your own robots to that set. Uh, in our visual programming language, if you need to add more modules, more services to perform certain functions, you just write them and they immediately, they automatically show up in the tool. So you don't, you don't have to do anything special to extend the service set that, that the visual programming language provides. So in that sense, anybody can add their own elements and whether they're open source elements or commercial elements, however they want to. And then as I said earlier, the other important part of this is the amount of sample code that we provide. Uh, about a third of the code that's in the toolkit right now is provided, uh, you know, the services that we provide for talking to particular robots, the services we provide for how to do speech interaction or simple vision uh, algorithms or, you know, getting GPS images, uh, GPS uh, data or webcam images. They're provided not only in binary form but also in source form. And the license is 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 open in, in the sense that anybody can... Uh, can take that, that source code, modify it, redistribute it, do whatever they want. So in that some sense, it follows the same model that open source does. And then there's one other important aspect of it that really speaks to the openness of the platform, which is uh, services in our programming model use a very specific protocol, just like on the web you have HTTP or you might have SOAP. These are protocols that people use to communicate uh, within, within web technologies. Well, we have a protocol for how these services communicate together. That protocol is patented technology by Microsoft, but we've actually provided a, an equivalent to something like an open source license. We call it the open software promise, where Microsoft says, yes, we, we, we do claim patents on this, but we will give anybody a free license to use this protocol on any kind of implementation they want to. So if you wanted to go create um, software modules, for example, that ran on Linux to inter interoperate either on a Linux platform or with the things that are built on top of Windows platforms, then you could do that, and, and there's a free license to do that. We don't restrict people from, from doing that. Uh, so people could create uh, software modules that, that use this type of protocol on Linux-based systems, on Macintoshes, even on things that might not be big enough to have a full OS. So that aspect of the thing is very open as well. So what we've tried to do is try to combine what the needs of, of all everybody in the world is. Some people, you know, in, in open source, you, you, do, you may have issues with, well, who owns the patents or the IPs or who's going to maintain it? And so, so for those pieces that we think it's important to provide a base, uh, we, 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 we stand behind and say those are things that Microsoft will, will support and we, we don't provide those as open. But the rest of the environment, the, the things that really the robotics industry cares about, writing the vision recognition algorithms, the navigation system, people can either write, um, build those things on top of our platform, either on a commercial basis or on an open source basis, and, and there's no restriction there. So this is really interesting. You're providing the, this great software with all this code and a free license, and I'm wondering why. Well, it's because uh, we really believe that, that, that 
that this is an industry that, like the PC industry, has a tremendous amount of potential. If you, it, it doesn't matter wherever I go in the world. You find that people believe that robotics is a significant part of the future, that it will be a, an important part of, uh, of the economy, that it will be an important part of technology and how we, how we, uh, you know, we live in the future. So, for example, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, what are the, where are the applications for robots, right? What are the compelling applications that are going to drive this forward? And one of the biggest areas I see as, a, as, as an opportunity is the, the issue of, of senior care. How are we going to take care of our senior population, uh, which is increasingly growing to be a larger percentage of the population? And, you know, though, as we grow older, we're less able, we're, our mental and our physical capabilities diminish. So, for example, my father-in-law, is 84. Uh, he lost his wife recently, who was a major force in organizing his life. Uh, he's had a stroke. And so, you know, he's not able to get around just as well as he used to when he was 10 years, you know, 10 years younger. Uh, and so I, I actually think that if we had, could have a robot in the home to, as a way to help facilitate communication, remind him to take his medications, just, you know, uh, be an assistant for him, that would be a tremendous benefit. And, and I would actually... I would I personally would spend significant money on that that kind of alternative because the alternatives for for hiring someone full time to take care of him so he could leave independently that's probably at least $20,000 in in uh, in the US market or if we had to put him into assisted care that's 70 to 80,000. dollars So a robot even if it sold for several thousands of dollars would be a a very cost effective way of allowing him to ma- maintain his independence as and live in the manner he wants to. Uh, and so I think this kind of technology could be incredibly uh, valuable for the future. Things have been going incredibly fast. I mean, from 2004, when Bill Gates uh, started getting interested to robotics, to 2006, when you launched uh, this product. And up till now, where we, we've seen you at ICRA, we've seen you at Robo Business, and here you're in Zurich, uh, touring around the universities. And Basically, I'm wondering, you've been interacting with all these scientists. What is their hands-on reaction with this software? Well, you know, it's, it's been very exciting. We've had over 150,000 downloads of the software already. Uh, and the reaction has been very positive from the people who have tried it out. Now, it is a little bit of a different programming model. So sometimes, you know, uh, it takes people a little time to kind of kick the tires and figure out whether, you know, it really fits their needs. And we're not trying to force fit this. If people feel like they've got solutions that uh, they're they're already satisfied with, we're not trying to outsell them of what, what they're doing. But uh, overall, the people who have found this find that it, it's it's a model that better addresses a lot of the needs that they have. It a better it provides a better platform for sharing, better platform reusability, better platform for uh, for fault to- for handling uh, faults in the system. So it's a better fault tolerance. It allows you to build more resilient software. Allows you to bring more compute power to the, because of the distributed nature of of the thing. So um, the we found so far that it's been very positive reception. At the same time, I admit, there are still people that are a little concerned. You know, why is Microsoft into this? You know, what is Microsoft's motives? And I can say that, you know, our motives is to, to provide a catalyst for the industry, just in the same way we did for MS-DOS or Windows, is to be able – we see such great potential. I mean, this really is – in my way of thinking, an evolution of PC technology. It's the natural way that PCs move beyond the desktop. 
uh, and we see it as a very important market for the future. And so what we see as our, ourselves doing is to try to provide a platform that helps this industry bootstrap itself, that opens up the, it to a wider uh, access to a wider part of the audience that allows more people to bring their creativity. Because we think that there are so many people that could offer, I mean, look again at what, what's happened to the web. I mean, the technology is so accessible. You even have kids today, they can bring their content to the web. It's not hard to write a, a, a web page today. Uh, it's very, it's a technology that anybody can participate in. And, and the result, you look at the result of that is it's just exploded. And so we want to see the same thing happen for robotics. We think that there are people that may just be creative types that don't really care about writing the navigation algorithms or the vision recognition algorithms, but they have they may have the talent to create the next generation of human robotics interaction uh, to the thing uh, to to the world. And so they need to be able to have access to this technology and make it be easy. So it can't just be just all the robot experts. And so what we hope we're doing is kind of expanding the audience and making it more available for more people to participate in what's going on. Out of curiosity, how many people are working in your team? Uh, we're actually, <laughs> that's the incredible thing. We're actually a very small team. There's about uh, 12 of us that are working on, on this project right now. Um, and yet, but, but if you'd met any of them, they're all a very passionate team. They're all very excited about the prospect. And, you know, for, for me personally, because I went through this in, in, in the late 70s, uh, this is like reliving the PC industry all over again. It's like seeing the opportunity, seeing the anticipation, seeing the enthusiasm, seeing the uh, the, the incredible uh, impact that this technology could that could be made to our lives, and believing that maybe we can do something that will allow millions of people to have access to this kind of technology. And if we can just do our little part to kind of open up this community and, and, and help it advance and reach its potential, which everybody, I don't care where you go, everybody believes in the world that this technology is, has tremendous potential and is going to move from a very gradual growth curve that in the next five to ten years is going to move into an exponential growth pattern. Um, if we can just do our part to help enable that to happen, then, then we'll be very excited about having participated in it. We've already started talking about the future here. Are we going towards a robot in every home? And if yes, what is the time frame? Well, I, I certainly, I, I believe so. And, and, and it, depending on what you define as a robot, we may, in, in some sense, we're already there, right? If, if, if you're generous enough about your definition of robotics, and, and, and what I, you know, that's probably one of the hardest questions I, I sometimes tr struggle with is, you know, what is a robot? And to me, the best I can come up with is it's kind of a, a system that senses and, and changes its behavior as a result of sensing some input from its environment. And even that may not be the best definition. But if you think about that definition, then in some sense, we already live with robots already in that, for example, the microwave oven I have at home, I can put in popcorn and hit the popcorn button and it knows its sensing system knows how long to pop the popcorn or the dishwasher I have automatically modulates its time cycle based on how hot the water currently is and because it needs to know it needs to warm up the water a little more or like For example, when I learned to drive, they said if you're on a slippery road, you're supposed to pump your brakes. Uh, when my daughter took driver's training recently, they said, no, 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 no. If, you're, if your car has anti-lock braking system, 
apply steady pressure to the brakes and the system does it. Well, what's anti-lock braking system? Well, it, it is a sensing system that, uh, that modulates the spin of the wheel, um, you know, the braking based on, on, on how the other wheels are spinning. And so in some sense, we already live with robots already if we are willing to acknowledge that these are very primitive forms. Maybe they're not the Hollywood forms. And then we're already seeing the next generation. I mentioned before, you know, if you were to buy, you could buy robots today for your home. They're very simple robots. They're toys. I mean, there are a number of toys that are, I mean, some of the most popular toys in the marketplace, like Robo Sapien. I believe they sold over 3 million of those robots in about two years' time. Um, the Lego robots have been a, a, a very popular product. Um, so, uh, or, you know, you can buy these simple cleaning robots. So those robots are actually accessible in the marketplace. Now, they're, again, they're probably not the caliber robots that really hoping we're living, we're, we're, we'll live with. But we're, I'm already seeing the, the transition to the next one. So, you know, so in some sense, we live with robots already. And we're seeing the increasing projection, uh, 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 evolution to more complex forms of robots. So, as I said, if you would go to Korea right now, you could see half a dozen or more different robots that have been funded, subsidized by the Korean government, by the way, where those robots are actually being placed in consumer homes and they're doing trials, which I think is very exciting and should be kind of a warning sign to people in the rest of the world because the Korean government is basically getting their local companies to actually they're actually making sure that those robots not only are created but they're starting to get consumer feedback you know and that first stage of feedback is very important to the next round of improvements so even if they utterly fail they're actually getting very valuable feedback to know what to build next so they're doing those kind of usability studies now so those robots we can already see in fact they showed up at the consumer electronics show for the first time last year uh, for example, a company, a Korean company by the name of Eugen and MicroRobot were there, in addition to the good folks from, from iRobot showing off their robots. Um, in fact, this year, if you come to CES, I promise you'll, come, you'll see my robots, some of these robots in Microsoft's booth as well. We're going to show off some of these robots that are starting to implement the technology that we have. Now, going down the road, what you're going to see uh, is other robots that, um, as I said, in five years' time, I believe, five to well, five to seven years, you're going to see robots that have the ability not only to live in the environment and operate safely in a human environment, but be able to manipulate things in that environment. Going to be able to pick up my socks off the floor. Going to be able to pick up, you know, load the dishwasher, unload the dishwasher. In fact, you know, it was interesting. Colin Angle from iRobot said that the robot he really yearned for in the future, this is one of the executives from, from iRobot, is one that would fold his clothes. Well, when we get to robots that have arms, and those robots are actually, they're, they're, they're already starting to, come to market. I was just at Robo Development two weeks ago, and there were three robots that showed up at that event. There was the uh, uh, robots from Inibot, from Willow Garage, which is a new spin-out from Stanford, and in Microsoft's booth, we had a robot that hasn't come to market yet, but has uh, possibly is very close to coming in market from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. All these robots were not only mobile, but had two uh, 
uh, four degree of freedom arms, which would allow them to manipulate things in the in 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 their environment. Now they're still missing some of the software. I mean, direct manipulation is the next layer of next dimension of software that goes beyond the basic navigation and, and sensing networks that robots will need. But now when we get into that, those robots and the fact that we see them for the first time at an event like this from from several commercial companies is an indication that while they're not quite ready for prime time yet, in five years at the way that technology advances on an exponential curve, it's very realistic. I mean, just think about how much progress the PC industry made in five years. I mean, or even I look at back at Microsoft's uh, technologies, uh, you know, things like Xbox or other technologies we've had. Even Windows took about five years to go from its initial development to where it really started becoming popular. It took about five years. So, um, those those kind of things are you know are where I think we're very close to seeing those kinds of things in the next three to five years. Thanks, Tandy, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Well, thank you again for inviting me. It was my pleasure. That was Tandy Trower on the Microsoft Robotics Studio. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you in two weeks. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.